The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, my guest is Beth Cassoni, and Beth is the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Lobstermen's Association. So we're going to be talking lobsters today, you know, how, how their habitat for lobsters is doing and what you can do to help better conditions for lobsters. Hello, Beth. Hi, Rob. How are you? Very good. So I'm sitting here in sunny Harvard Square, and it's so hot out that we've got all the windows closed, which is a benefit because it's been really noisy traffic and, and fire engines going by and stuff. So hopefully we'll have an undisturbed program. And, and where are you calling from? I'm located in Situate, down right by the harbor. I'm looking out. I can see the boats, and it's a little breezy and sunny, so I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I first met your uncle, uh, Dave Cassoni, uh, who's with the Massachusetts Lobstermen Association, and uh, it, it feels like you kind of have a lobster uh, in the families there. We do. My uncle's been commercially lobster fishing my whole life, and so has my brother Rick. And I grew up in the Brant Rock section of Marshfield where there are 37 commercial lobstermen today, and it is the third largest port in Massachusetts for effort. And, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, that that is, it's a... It's a way of life, and, and you were saying that, you know, when the leaves fall off, you can see the ocean from your house and stuff. Yep. You're, you're well connected. So Very well um, connected. And, and you're available to talk with me in the middle of the afternoon. Most fishermen are off at sea, or they're, they just, they're too tired from working all morning since, you know, I'm on godly early hour and stuff. Um, yeah, some of, so, some of our so, guys start at three in the morning, four in the morning, and they're done, you know, four in the afternoon, five in the afternoon. Yeah. It's a long, long day. But you have a different regime and a different time schedule than they do, I bet. I do. Um, the yeah. Monday through Friday, as needed, even on weekends. If there's a meeting, I go. And if there's a festival, I go. So. Yep. All of them go to different events and and yeah, we just saw each other a couple nights ago in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. There was a big NOAA meeting, and so these things come on short notice, and you just gotta gotta go, gotta go, I guess, because yeah, otherwise Dave, Dave has a good saying. 
He has a good saying for that. If you're not at the table, you're on the plate. So <laughs> we, like, we like to be at the table and not on the plate. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. So yeah. tell me about the Massachusetts Lobstermen's Association. The Massachusetts Lobstermen's Association was established in 1963 by the fishermen, for the fishermen, and it is still run today by the fishermen. We have delegates that are are elected by their area members, which in order to be a voting member in the organization, you have to hold a coastal lobster permit. And we currently have 1,800 members, and... Of that, we have about 550 of the Massachusetts commercial lobstermen in our organization. Anyone can join the Massachusetts Lobstermen's Association. We have fishermen from Canada to Cape May, New Jersey, and we even have an international following, will you, through social media. We have members in Australia, in Madrid, Spain, which... It was interesting when I saw those applications come across the desk. Um, We have delegates, we have offices, and we have an executive board that meet regularly to talk about industry concerns, what's going on with the market, fisheries management, and educational outreach programs that we do on a regular basis. So it's a real source to go to to find out what's going on with the lobster industry in Massachusetts. Yes, we we have our website, lobstermen.com, and I utilize all the social medias that are free today. Facebook, we're on Facebook. We use Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And I find those tools are becoming more and more utilized by the next generation. So we're trying to stay current and ahead of that with our efforts to bring what we do as an organization to keep the fishermen fishing and to also bring proteins to the residents in Massachusetts. People look at Yum. lobster as a people look at lobster as a novelty item for celebrations and we try to encourage people to eat it on a more regular basis and it's interesting the comments that people tell us that their doctors say don't eat lobster because it's high in cholesterol. And we have this red lobster cutout, which was created in conjunction with the Lobster Institute in Maine. And lobster has less cholesterol than beef, pork, or chicken. And it's the butter that you put on it that gives it the cholesterol. So, you know, we we try to educate. (laughs) We educate consumers one at a time on the health benefits of eating lobster. So... It might be a slow process, but we're here. You know, we've been around for 53 years plus, and we're, you know, hopefully going to be around for another 53. But it's a real education because you're constantly bumping into that. The doctors say it's high in, you know, um, what is it, cholesterol or something. And it's like, I don't know where that comes from, but it's really out there. So this is important work you're doing to educate people that, no, actually lobster, you know, is... um, like you said, lower than uh, all the meats and fowl and those kinds of things. And, and we do a lot of educational outreach talks. I have done three this year, and I'm doing another one in, Fal- in Yarmouth. Sorry, And I know that Dave goes and gives talks down in New Bedford on cruise ships that come in, and you know there are people from all around the world on those cruise ships. And 
you know, we try to do our best to educate them on all of the above when it comes to lobster. And, you know, it's when people say to us, well, what's the difference between a Maine lobster and a Massachusetts lobster? And we politely respond, nothing. It's where it's landed. <laughs> it's the same lobster. People sometimes don't want to believe yeah. it to be true because they land, I think the furthest south I've heard of a lobster landed was Virginia, believe it or not. I think it might have been lost and confused. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they're they're catching them maybe down around Barnegat Light offshore. That's about as far south mm-hmm. as New you Jersey. can. Yeah, yeah, New Jersey. When I was curator of natural history at the Peabody Essex Museum, the uh, son or grandson of Japan's emperor had a visit to the museum. And they were all excited because they had this ancient Japanese stuff in the museum. But he was most interested in the lobster. <laughs> I had mounted on the wall. And um, <laughs> the, uh, the emperor's father, who was the emperor during World War II, was a marine biologist. And so there's been a lot of interest in marine biology and that family and stuff. And, and so um, that was pretty funny that the emperor was most interested in the New England Maine lobster there. And, um, you know, know, we're going to, there's a festival coming up on the 26th and 27th of this month, September, at the State Pier in New Bedford, and it's the Working Waterfront Festival, and it's a free event for families to attend, and if you've never been down there, and if you're in the area, it is definitely something to bring the kids to, and you get to go on offshore scallop boats. They have drags, they have tugboats, um, and there's lots of educational things for the kids to do, hands-on arts and crafts. Um, Last year I gave my hand, I I entered a scallop shucking contest, and, you know, for the girls, you know, go girl power in the fishing industry, I've never shucked a scallop, and I was going up against seasoned captains and whatnot, and, you know, I think I had shucked 40, and they shucked... Two hundred, <laughs> but um, we're, we'll be there, and uh, we have a a thirty nine and a half pound taxidermied preserved lobster that we bring with us to these events, and it's quite impressive to see these lobsters that big because people don't realize they just keep growing. There's nothing they you know they'll die from predation or shell, not even shell disease, but you know there's not very many things killing. Yeah. They just keep growing. That's right. And I had the good fortune to um, be working on a research ship and way out in the middle of the Gulf of Maine on Cassius Ledge. And the scientists wanted to find out about, our assistant scientists, and he wanted to know how many fish were in the waters by how much protein is floating on the surface. So we, we lowered over the 16-foot lap streak uh, Lunenburg dory and I hopped in, and it had the square oars, you know, so they couldn't, you couldn't feather them. You had to just set them between the sole pins and stuff. And I rode out about a mile, uh, half a mile or less than that. Um, and I had these toothpicks, and, you'd, and I had this wooden box with vials in it. And you open the wooden box, and you stick a toothpick in the left vial first, and you plunk it in the water, and if the oil spreads out, then it's too light. And so you keep hmm. plunking... Uh, toothpicks until the oil sinks. It doesn't spread anymore, and that indicates, you know, how much uh, protein on the surface of the water. So I did this in a couple spots, and then suddenly there was this lobster pot boat looming over me, 
Um, and the, the person asked, you know, where, where what port are you going to? And I said, what's all? And he goes, Massachusetts. I said, yeah, Massachusetts. He said, would you like a lobster? And I said, yes. <laughs> so he added me. This, I think it was a 35-pound lobster. It was enormous. It had, like, claws the size of codfish, you know. And, and uh, uh, <laughs> so there it was on the floor of the dory, you know, wandering around. And so I got my feet up on the seats and stuff and rode backwards. <laughs> And they don't—they don't make lobster bands for lobsters that big. So usually, you're if you if it's you against the lobster with no bands, you you better keep your toes up. Oh man, I had them point to the sky. Let me tell you, they were <laughs> almost out of the boat. You know, um, yeah, and uh, it was because you know they were Maine lobstermen, and and we were going to Massachusetts, so we mm-hmm. were able to do that. But uh, yeah, uh, that's just phenomenal um, critters, and yet. You know, um, we have a healthy industry, and um, you're, you know, you're, you're catching, you know, you don't have to, yeah, whatever. It's really great. What it's I like the, about reading the paper, uh, you yeah. know, looking at your, uh, your, mag, your, your uh, paper, is um, the news about how the lobsters are behaving differently south of Cape Cod than north of Cape Cod. That's correct. really different in, on there. Tell us yeah, a bit about in, that. Yeah, that's um, we just had the stock assessment come out. The stock assessment is done every five to six years through the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. They manage lobster. And southern New England, which is south of New Bedford to New Jersey, will you, the stock has been in decline, and there were management measures put in place four and a half, five years ago to reduce effort, and the stock's decline has been determined it's not due to fishing. It's due to environmental factors, and nine years ago, there was a complete die-off of lobsters in Long Island Sound due to malathion and methoprene bullets being put in the storms to kill the mosquito larvae, and that flushed into the sound, which basically decimated the whole stock, and through the environmental factors in the water warming, I mean, it's not a secret, the water is getting warmer, and lobsters do not like warm water. They like an optimal degree of 19 degrees centigrade, so they're migrating further out into deeper waters, cooler waters, and the fishermen in southern New England that I've talked to um, recently and regularly have seen an increase in their catch, and I, you know, continually question the biologist, well, how is this? How is this? And, you know, they see it because there's a reduction in effort in other areas, which would make sense so that if there's less fishermen fishing on a resource, those lobsters are still there, but they need to do something to reduce the effort so that the stock can have a chance to rebound. And it takes, you know, some people don't realize, you know, it takes eight years to get to a legal-sized lobster from the time it's hatched. And if oh, it really? makes it, yes, so it's eight years to get to about a pound and a quarter, pound and a half lobster. So the southern New England waters have been warming these past three years. The winters have been colder, as we've all noticed, with the snowfall last year. 
And right, it's going to a colder butt. But the stock still needs to be there. Need, the stresses need to come off from you right. know, from effort. So the fishermen have a plan in place. The ASMFC and the federal government have come up with a reduction, which would implement starting in 2016. They're going to reduce trap tags by 25%, and then every year afterwards, 5%. And then if you're buying and selling trap tags, there's a 10% conservation on some transactions. So that's another effort to reduce, you know, the traps and the number of traps in the water. So if you have 100 traps, you can only sell 90 of them and you reduce it by 10%. Is that what you mean? Yes. You would sell the 100, but in actuality, the recipient would not receive 100. They would receive 90. Right. Right. Yes. So you have 10% less traps with every transaction. Correct. And Area 1, which is from Cape Cod Bay to the Canadian Maritimes, that dock has been given two thumbs up. It's healthy. It's sustainable. Lobster is the most sustainable resource due to measures implemented by the industry over the years, over the many, many years where they... V-notch, egg-bearing females, and they put them back in the water. And if there's a V-notch that has any, you know, there's a zero tolerance in Area 1. Every area is a little bit different. And if there's even a little indent in that flipper, they have to put it back. Wow. So there's conservation measures in place. I'm sorry, what? That's something special about uh, District 1 as opposed to the southern, more, more southerly districts? Um, area 2, their V-notch, I'm just looking it up. Um, oh, V-notch, they have different, they have an eighth inch yeah. with or without cedal hairs. Pretty much all areas other than oh, Area 1 and the Outer Cape have an eighth inch with or without cedal hairs. Hmm. Exactly. It was just dramatic the way that the um, the chart you showed for south of New Bedford, you know, it's a mountain peak with sloping down on either side up till today, whereas, you know, north of Cape Cod, it's all upwards, you know, it's a wonderful curve up. And, and, and the you're saying that, that the, the big difference there is water temperature and the poisons that they put out for mosquito control and that's what that's what we've been told it's a culmination yeah. of things and the only thing that I've learned in the 9 years I've been here is that they can control the fishermen that's that's yeah, what they that's manage the problem the problem is the environment i mean you know exactly. the water south of water south of uh, new bedford are sandy shoaly shallow waters that get heated up quicker in the sunlight because they're shallow versus, you know, north of the canal. It's, it's deeper water with much greater tidal flushing and all these factors that, you know, make it a very different environment, habitat. Exactly. Um, but I, I've seen that with other animals, like with codfish, that uh, with these warming waters, with global warming, uh, Species are moving north. 
And I've so, even I've uh, I, I've heard fishermen seeing a parrot fish. I thought that was wow. odd. Yes, that's what I said. <laughs> well, what happens is we get some uh, the the warmth the Bermudas in the Sargasso Sea, and the Sargasso Sea is separated from us by the Gulf Stream, and the Gulf Stream kind of meanders in circles, and so sometimes you can get a bit of Sargasso seawater as an eddy trapped in the Gulf Stream, and it'll um, be brought closer to Rhode Island, actually. Um, so sometimes in Rhode Island they get these uh, tropical fish, uh, which have been kind of transported by the Gulf Stream like that. But yep. a pair of fish is amazing. I know. I mean, they could have been wrong in saying that, but, you know. No, no, nature's unexpected. I, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're seeing in uh, the Gulf of Maine that the cod are, are moving out uh, or the numbers are going down and maybe they're moving out and that uh, these green sea crabs have come in and now we're seeing uh, black sea bass, which used to be south of Cape Cod, is turning up uh, in uh, north of Cape Cod and, you know, frankly, when fried under tartar sauce, it's hard to tell what the black sea bass is a kind of grouper. It's difficult to tell it apart from codfish. So there's yeah. hope that for the fishermen that they'll be able to shift their fish. But for you lobster folks, I mean, there's no substitute for lobster. <laughs> a lobster Frogs is a lobster it, no matter know? what way you try to paint it, fry it, cook it. It's a lobster. That's, you're absolutely right. They do come in different colors, though, and it's, you know, I have yet to see one in person. They do come in some pretty ornate colors. Before my time at the Peabody Ethics Museum, they, they, were, they got a, a, one of those blue lobsters. Mm-hmm. And in order to preserve it, they cooked it, and when they cooked it, it turned red. They all turn red. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so those diners, we don't know that they come in different colors, but I, it's good to know they do. And that's, um, all, that's all based upon diet, just like the pink flamingos are pink because they eat the shrimp. And, you know, I, I asked... I I asked the aquarium, well, how does it get blue? This blue crabs, they yeah. must eat a blue blue crab, blue algae, something. They're eating something blue. Yeah, but there ain't much of it because only one in a million finds it to eat. You know that's exactly. Exactly. That's a little weird. <laughs> I, I I agree. I agree. I'm not buying it all to, in totality. Um, there's um, they found on Cassius Ledge that the codfish that swim on the kelp forest there have a distinctive red coloring to them, uh, redder than, than normal codfish. And that might be a genetic variation, but it probably is something to do with what they're eating, just like you were saying with the flamingos and stuff. Hmm. So oceans are interesting places. Uh, Beth, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going right. to come back talk some more about lobsters. Great. Thank you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with Beth... Sony, and Beth is the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Lobstermen's Association. Beth, how can people learn more about the Massachusetts Lobstermen Association? First, they can start by visiting our website, lobstermen.com, and we also maintain pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, or they can pick up the phone, and we, I do believe we're one of the last organizations that still answers the phone. They can call 781-545-6984, and I'm available to talk. Hey, hey. yeah, that's, that's really great. I do the same thing and still put the phone number out on stationery and stuff. And You know, it's really important that you have that out on your homepage and stuff. Um, exactly. So I was looking at your, um, your newsletter, and you've got a great article there about going to the vineyard. You went to Martin's mm-hmm. Vineyard? I did. I had the pleasure this summer. Um, we have about 12 members out on the vineyard that fish, and we hold monthly meetings on the mainland. And as you can imagine, it's quite hard for them to get off the island and come to a two-hour meeting in Quincy and then return mm. back to the island to go back out fishing the next day. So I thought this summer, you know what, I'm going to bring us to them. And I reached out to our members and organized a meeting and met them at a pizza restaurant. And we had pizza, and seven of the members came. Some of the other members were still out fishing. I mean, August is a busy time out on the vineyard, as you can imagine. So I went out there and held a meeting, brought all of our information to them, 
and listen to their concerns. And their concerns are different than other areas' concerns because they're, they're on an island. They have limited outlets for their lobster catch. And when there's different size restrictions for different areas and they're seeing an influx of smaller lobsters from other areas into their markets, you know, it's frustrating for the fishermen on the island. So, you know, it was yeah. good. We had, a, we had a great time. I got to go out fishing the next day. Um, Captain Paul McDonald was kind enough to take me out on his fishing vessel, Shearwater, out of Menemsha, which was quite interesting. I've never, I've seen Menemsha from the docks. I've never gone out fishing out of there. And it was a great experience. Yeah, now people who don't may not be as familiar as, as we are, Menemsha is the far right-hand corner out by Gay Head uh, on Martha's Vineyard, and it's fronting on uh, Vineyard Sound, and it's practically facing, you know, Newport, Rhode Island. I mean, it's way the heck down there. And uh, yep. what was it like going out in the water there? Oh, it was, it, was, it was amazing just to see the island that close from a fishing vessel and, mm. you know... I've been out on vessels in different areas up in the Gulf of Maine and out in Cape Cod Bay. And, you know, there is a lot of elements that the fishermen face on the island that I never thought, you know, never even gave it a thought because I'm not a fisherman. I sit at a desk. I, you know, I do a lot of talking. And, you know, we were out on the boat and the currents, you know, we were pulling up to their first trawl and, you know, he's like, his buoy's going under, and then he's trying to haul it up through the hauler, and he's like, oh, this is, this is nothing. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, the, the currents run through here 12 knots sometimes. And, you know, I just went, wow. And, you know, between the currents, the continual waves, they weren't breaking waves, but they were rollers. You know, they were about six foot all day rocking. Yeah, you said it was a really lumpy sea, you know. It was yeah, lumpy. and he said, this is nothing. You should have been out oh, yesterday. And I I was thinking to myself, I'm glad I wasn't out yesterday. And, you know, so <laughs> so as we hauled through the gear, you know, the first, the first trawl that he hauled up, I was, you know, we were up off of, um, we were north of Gay Head, so going towards Vineyard Haven, will you? And, yep. you know, the first thing I noticed as soon as he pulled his, his gear up was the, the amount of weed and growth on his gear was astonishing. And we talked about that at length throughout the day. And, and he again said, this is nothing. It gets worse. And I had never seen that much growth on any gear to date, and I've gone out, like I said, on quite a few lobster boats, and we talked about it, and, you know, the one thing that I did notice on the shoreline, as I wrote about in my article, was the nice green lawns run into the ocean, and it's all about the fertilizers. Yeah, that's, this is an obvious thing that people can do, uh, but I want to talk some more about those lobster traps. So normally okay. traps have like an inch space between the, the wires and stuff. And Correct. You, and that They're was usually, all grown over yep. with algae. You, and you couldn't see into the traps. Couldn't see into the traps. And 
The only things coming out of the traps that didn't have weeds on them were the lobsters, which I thought was pretty interesting because the crabs that came out of the lobster pots had weeds. The poor, I felt yeah. bad for the poor little crabs walking around with the weeds on top of them. And I think even the weeds had weeds. There were so many weeds. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. And, you it's know, the gear. Spider crabs. Um, yeah, there were spider crabs. Yeah, lots of spider crabs. And, you know, they I mean. It's very hoary with weeds. That's right. Very, yep. very weedy guys. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Just tons of weed everywhere. And then he said that even though you couldn't see through the spaces and the netting and stuff, that he said it gets even worse than that. And, wow. Exactly, exactly. It must get heavy to haul because, you know, the water flows out slower and, um, yeah, it becomes hazardous. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people don't realize when recreational boaters are out there, you know, having having their fun time and, they come upon a lobster boat, and especially if it's a sailboat. I've, I've been on lobster boats when sailboats have approached, and sail, you're supposed to give way to a, a fishing boat actively fishing because yeah. when they have their ropes through the hauler, through the pot hauler, people don't realize that they're basically anchored to the bottom. They've got right. a string of, you know, whether it's, one, two, ten, or fifteen pots, they are anchored to the bottom, and they cannot just move to get out of your way. So just imagine a lobster pot that generally a lobster pot, commercial lobster pot, can weigh, I'd say, 48, 50 pounds to 75 pounds, maybe even somewhere up to 100, I've heard, because it depends, again, on the area that they're fishing. And... Now add another 25 pounds of weed or 15 pounds of weed, depending yeah. on the area, and now you've just increased that anchor by another 200, 300 pounds. When there's a bunch of pots on it, that's right. Yeah. Yep, yep. And, and so the, the winch is like a, it's tied to the diesel engine, and it, it, the rope goes over the, the wheel, and it helps to haul it up, but it's still... Um, yeah, you're right. You're just you're tied to the bottom. You, you are yep. tied to the. Yep. Okay. So I was pretty. I was pretty disheartened to see all that. Yes. Now, um, what have you seen in terms of um, algae pollution? You know, in the region, or you know, because well, obviously it's a very different. I mean, we call Mass Bay like a mill pond compared to. The sound down there. <laughs> so you, um, I, I agree. Know. Yes, I agree. It yeah. is. It's it you know, there's a saying we say. Bay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we say flat bleep calm in the Cape Cod Bay area, and Southern New Hungry. England they don't have they don't have very many flat days out there. Um, no, we, they don't. No, 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 no. And then one other thing they have to deal with out there, and I think they've done pretty good at cleaning up where. Captain Paul fishes, he fishes off right around Nomans, and Nomans was the old testing site for missiles and munitions, and you know, there's an still island some out there. Of, yeah. Um, but for what I've seen around the region is that the algae, the, you know, the growth has gotten worse over the years, and obviously it's at higher rates in the warmer warmer uh, weather, 
because people yep. are more actively out there fertilizing their lawns and it runs off and it everything lands up back in the ocean. And the fertilizers, I mean, I'm, I have to confess, I used to fertilize my lawn. I used to use Scott's 1, 2, 3, 4, and then I started working here and I started listening and I saw and I stopped. And like I wrote about in my article... Crabgrass is green, and you still have to mow it. Great. And I, don't have, I don't have to water my crabgrass. It's nope. still green. So yep. I yep. stopped using fertilizers nine years ago, and I wish that everyone would so take that. that same initiative. Yeah, so that's, this is a campaign that we're putting together with... Uh, you know, with the Mass Lobstermen Association and the striped bass fishermen, is to um, educate people how they need not, you know, only feed your lawn when it's hungry. If it ain't hungry, you probably don't have to feed it. You don't have to feed it when it's not hungry. And uh, then uh, when you do, you know, one application should be enough uh, for the year. And don't do it during the summer months when it's sunniest and warmest and the algae is the bloomingest. But the fertilizer bags will say on them, fertilize in the spring, Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July weekend, and Labor Day weekend, and again in the fall. So they want to see five pounds per thousand square feet of, uh, for, of fertilizer, of nitrogen, which is the main component of fertilizer, put out. Um, I, um, we've been trying to address this problem, and the... Um, the decision makers would say, well, Rob, you know, go over to Barnstable there and bring me the water that's full of nitrogen that comes off the lawn. Show us the problem. And so I go over there, and what happens is that the soil is so sandy that when people put on a ton of fertilizer, room, it goes right through the turf, into the sand, through the sand, down to the groundwater, and there you can't tell if nitrogen is coming from fertilizer or for septic or sewage. And so they're all walking around saying, there's no problem, it's not coming off the lawns, it's all the septic and sewage. Um, so that, that's been an impossible nut to crack. Um, and for my son Ryan and I, we were sailing in Nantucket Sound there uh, yep. from um, Ketuit, uh not toward the vineyard, but out toward Nantucket. And halfway out, five miles out, is... Um, they had put a weather station to measure uh, the wind speeds for a potential windmill that you may have heard about. And, Water uh, wind? Oh, I'm following it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's not going to happen in Nantucket Sound. but Not um, in Nantucket Sound, but the deep water wind right. is going to come off of Nantucket. Yeah, on the other side of Nantucket, but this is on the Cape yep. Cod side. Yep. And uh, so we get out there five miles, and the wind just died. And so there we are in the current where we wanted to go was marching off to the right because the tide was heading down toward Woods Hole and Vineyard Haven and stuff. So we had a paddle, and so, I, you know, Ryan would hold the tiller and I would paddle or vice versa. And um, when I put my arm in the water, when the water got up to my elbow, I could not see my fingers because there was so much algae in the water. Five so, miles uh, five out. Five miles out. Yeah, five miles out of Cape Cod, five miles south of, or north of Nantucket. Right there in the middle, yeah. So that's my goal is be able to see my fingertips, you know, for the water five miles out down the road. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. So, well, we thought I we know that. We didn't do anything because we didn't have any smoking gun, but um, 
Falmouth uh, one day off Little Pond, which is on the which is a, pond, a salt pond next to Nantucket Sound, uh, had this stench, and the sewage district guy lived right near there and said, that's not sewage, that's biological, and they found 16 striped bass dead on the beach, along oh. with a dead horseshoe crab and uh, an unidentified crab. I know it's not a lobster because they would identify it as that, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, right. And, and so the, uh, what had happened was that the algae had bloomed and grown so fast that it had eaten up all the oxygen, and so these fish and crab had gone into a, 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 a toxic, no-oxygen portion of water and just suffocated quickly and died. Uh, wow. And the people of Falmouth said it's because of too much fertilizer on the lawns. And they said, okay, we're passing a law. Only put one pound, not five pounds per thousand square feet. Only one application, not five applications. That's pretty reasonable. And, of course, the industry had a fit and a half. And so they pointed out to the uh, attorney general for the state that um, towns don't know as much as states do. And so the attorney general had to rule that, the state rules of putting down five pounds trumps the local ordinance of only putting one pound down. That I mean, is can atrocious. You that? They That's the atrocious. Towns. Yeah. If you want green lawns, you've got to do it five times. And, and so, the, you know, the very concerned landowners are all out there pushing their spreaders around for all the summer holidays. Um, wow. But Falmouth was lucky. Falmouth um, had as their state senator, Therese Murray, who was the president of the Senate, and yep. so she was slip in a special exemption for Falmouth that they can differ from the state regulations because they got discompensation from you know Pope Teresa there, but um, <laughs> but we believe that all 360, the 361 municipalities in Massachusetts, and we think all of them have the same rights to clean water and healthy horseshoe crabs and healthy striped bass as does Falmouth. And so that's the mission that we're setting, we're putting together is an effort to um, educate people to come together from all the municipalities. Because, you know, you know fertilizer is also choking up freshwater lakes, freshwater rivers, and then it all flows to the sea. So, you know, this is something that we all share in. And Absolutely. now that we've got back at megafauna, the striped bass, it makes more sense. I mean, people just weren't that alarmed about poor Rob not seeing his fingers in the middle of nowhere. But when you tell people they might not be able to catch striped bass because now that the bass are recovering, before they were uh, hungry for lack of forage fish like the herring and the menhaden were being overfished, so you had these emaciated bass. Now we got healthy bass. We've got to get non-slimy, clean waters to go with it. That's right. Um, and, you know, the fishermen, the lobstermen are, you know, they have to increase their business to accommodate the weed growth because they now have to either have on deck pot cookers. They have these machines or, you know, they're basically hot baths for the lobster pots and then just basically cooks the weeds off. But it's another intention. And these are, you know, $5,000, $3,000, depending on the size you need to accommodate. And that's even if your boat can accommodate another piece of equipment that you already are in tight spaces. So it's right. another expense and it's another 
<clears throat> maintaining it and using it and and it's unnecessary when you know it's almost common sense has left and these fertilizing companies are capitalizing on you know a green lawn as a status you know status to have a green lawn well they're they're, they're doping people into buying way more fertilizer than is needed you know, they're not letting people treat their lawns the way the golf courses do, which is they only feed it when it's hungry, and they watch every ounce of fertilizer to make sure none of it is like money going into the water, so they, you know, just put the right amount down. But talk a little more about that. That's really cool. So you've got a lobster trap, which is a pretty big thing, right? It's like... Exactly. And then you have another... What are the dimensions, are the dimensions I, I saw, of a lobster trap? How big I, is a lobster trap? It can go anywhere between... For commercial, they go 36 to inshore, 36 to 48. So right. anywhere between so three feet and four feet. Yeah. That's the long dimension. And so you're describing like a bass that this stuff is dunked into? It's a stainless steel vat that has yeah, scalding vat. hot water that they basically put it in, take a brush to it, and brush the weeds off, and it cooks the weeds off. So given the size it- Lobster trap. This is gonna, that the vat is going to take up a lot of real estate in your boat. <laughs> you, that's right. And the boats that can accommodate it are the forty-five plus boats. You know, a smaller yeah. boat might have a fifty-five gallon bucket drum. Will you? That has a, yeah. a coil in it that heats up the water, and then they just brush it, or if they can dip it, you know, sometimes they dip them in there as opposed to, you know, putting them in, laying them down and shutting the door and letting them cook for a minute right. or two. And, and I asked one of the fishermen last night at our meeting, he showed me a picture. He was all excited, Cape Cod Bay fisherman. He was all excited because he got a new pot cooker. And I'm thinking, that's $4,000 I'm looking at. And he needs wow. it, though, because his gear doesn't fish when it grows over. So he has to spend money to make money when, in actuality, all homeowners need to do is reduce their spending of money on fertilizer and you know he said he he couldn't run his business without without this no he had to do it but he's spending money because the fertilizer industry is profiting on people not knowing when to stop putting fertilizer down exactly well that that is alarming we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to wrap up the show with what people can do to help save the lobster and especially the lobstermen so they don't have to be spending so much extra money getting rid of the algae on their traps and stuff. We'll be back in a second. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI 
partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Well, I've been talking with Ben Sassoni about um, lobsters, and uh, the timing is perfect because Beth, uh, this radio show is the first of a series that we're going to put together to help people understand how they can stop the killing of striped bass and the clogging up of lobster pots with um, algae and lobster traps and all the burdening of what's happening from this slimy green stuff. Uh, by having people reduce excessive lawn fertilizer. And uh, so in a future show, we'll have uh, Patrick Paquette come join us. He is with the Massachusetts Recreational Striped Bass Fisherman. And then Darren Saletta is Massachusetts Commercial Striped Bass Fisherman. So we're going to build a coalition with the steering committee of the um, uh, Massachusetts Lobster Fishermen's Association and then the Commercial and the Recreational Striped Bass Association, working with the uh, Ocean River Institute to um, build a strong constituency of people who are engaged and educated and more aware of what they can do in, uh, by you know, having green grass and also um, not letting the nitrogen get into the waterways. Um, Was my phone, but we won't answer that. <laughs> uh, thank you, for, thank you for talking to us about the the lobster problems. Uh, um, oh yeah, and one more time, how do people get in touch with um, your your uh, lobsterman association? Rob, it's been a pleasure, and I want to thank you for reaching out to me the other night down in Providence at the Cassius Ledge meeting. Um, you can find us on the web, lobstermen.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Or you can pick up the phone and call, 781-545-6984. Anyone can join the Mass Lobstermen's Association. And we're an industry organization run by the fishermen for the fishermen. And our job is to keep the fishermen fishing. And, you know, the weed growth is a real problem. And if you're using fertilizers, 
all you have to do is cut back and use the appropriate amount. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to change your lifestyle. You can save money, time, and energy by just, you know, feeding things when they're hungry, <laughs> not just automatically when the industry wants you to do so. Um, exactly. I, I urge you to visit Beth's page, Beth Pisoni's page, um, her webpage, because it's very easy to subscribe to get, uh, to be kept informed of what's going on with the lobstermen. And it's really exciting, the work you guys are doing. And, you know, it, it's just fun knowing you guys when I see your boats out there and stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on the program. That's great. And I, I would invite you to attend our annual weekend and trade show, and hopefully by then we can put together a presentation for the 1,500 people that attend. That would be fantastic if that works out for yes, January. January 21st through 24th. I'll send you some information. Yeah, and then tell us again about the New Bedford event that's coming up soon. Oh, New Bedford, the Working Waterfront Festival. That's that's a fun, free event for the family, and it's September 26th and 27th in New Bedford at the State Pier, and you'll have access to go on offshore scallop boats, draggers, tugboats, lobster boats. There's all kinds of activities, music. It's a two-day festival, rain or shine. We've been there in some palatial gales and rain, but we're hoping for a sunny weekend. It's free, so bring the family I really recommend it. More seafood goes through New Bedford than any other port in the United States of America. There's one in Alaska that occasionally competes with New Bedford, but I think the last couple of years New Bedford has been leading on that. Uh, the scallop industry is phenomenal there, and the lobsters are tucked around the corners. And if you look for them, you'll see them. Yep. So that's that's fabulous. Um, that's Beth, we're out of time, but uh, thank right. you. Thank so you, much. Rob. And for all you listeners, thank you very much for listening in on us. Um, please um, copy this uh, show and, and share it with your friends. We really want to get the word out about how people can join with us to help to have cleaner waters, both salty and fresh. So thank you for listening. This is Rob Moyer uh, wishing you all happy uh, and healthy oceans. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.